What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to Straight Facts, a sports show that educates and entertains. I'm your guy, James Jackson, joined by my two guys as always, Jake Galley and Kyle Sirek. It's 2-2 in the NBA Finals. Um, last time we talked to you was a much different scenario. The Suns were up 2-0, and we, we were wondering where we were going to be at this next episode because we could be in a lot of different places. This is not the one that I wanted to be in. But guys, before we get into it, I mean, how, how have the finals looked? Just, you know, a little pregame before we get into the episode. How have the finals looked from, you know, from a sideline point of view? How, how are you guys liking this finals? It's great theater. I really did not think that Milwaukee was going to come. Like, I re- like. I mean, obviously they're capable. They're a very solid team. We've talked about them on this journey here. I doubted them pretty much the entire way, that as I usually bit. do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm not really... I don't feel any type of way that Milwaukee has made a finals before the Sixers. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like that normal resentment that if it was Toronto last year, if it was Atlanta that made it, if it was Brooklyn that made it, I would probably have a little bit more like outstanding like, hatred. Out- I'd be even, yeah, I'd be even more rooting for the Suns. I'm still kind of rooting for the Suns, but it's been awesome to watch. Like it's great basketball. Out- outstanding. Yeah. Outstanding that you made it about the Sixers somehow. That is, that is absolutely <laughs> outstanding on your part. I'll keep the Sixers out of it. To me, I'm kind of where Jake is because I remember after game one, I was like, oh, this might be actually kind of fun because I wasn't excited for this series. And tying it up 2-2 and last night's game was sick. Probably the best game of the series from a viewing standpoint so far. I'm just happy we got it like a fun series. We talked about it all last year, how like we or last week, how we uh, were privileged to see like LeBron every year. I'm happy we're getting the series of just two like normal teams right, in the right. finals. So, slugging yeah. it slugging it out such a it's been a pedestrian finals but it's been fun to watch like we're not yeah. seeing 135 to 130 games we're seeing you know 101 to you know 110 games in a, a slugfest in the modern day NBA but which is better to me yeah which, which is a little yeah. a little refreshing to say the least and Kyle I mean to for everyone who listened to the episode last week I said I would not be surprised if Milwaukee takes the next two in Milwaukee, that's exactly where we're headed. That brings us to the fact straight at you, and y'all, this is a hurt piece. Because not only did the Suns lose game four to the Bucks 109-103, it might have been on Chris Paul's dime, pun intended, that it happened. Chris Paul had 15 has 15 turnovers in the last three games. This is the first time since 2012 that Chris Paul has turned the ball over 15-plus times and over a three-game postseason stretch. So... Put it in layman's terms, he acted unusual, big fella. Things that we're not used to seeing Chris Paul do. And like to just get into dive right into the game four recap, it just looked like he was out of sync from the very beginning. And it, and he sat on the bench for damn near the entire second quarter. And it was campaign and the starters. And you I just sat there wondering, like, when is he gonna come back in? When is he gonna come back in? And it felt like he couldn't. He felt like if he did come back in, he was going to disrupt the flow. Campaign was giving them a very good flow in the latter second quarter going, you know, towards halftime. But you have to put Chris Paul on the floor. And then as soon as he comes in, he's a detriment to the team. Um, you know, what was it, four or five turnovers in the first half alone? Like it was it was just really tough to watch, you know, that that Chris Paul performance. And thank God we get to go back home to the Valley because he needs, you know, familiar scenery after what we just watched. But that was, y'all... I was in hell. I was in hell watching that game. Uh, yeah, I. It it is incredible. It did still come down to like the last few plays because when you look at the box scores, Milwaukee took twenty more shots than Phoenix Crazy. did that game. The uh, Suns committed ten more turnovers than the Bucks did. Like. When you do that type of stuff, it should be no contest. The other mm-hmm. team routes you. Well, well Jake, here's uh, the, I'll counter that more more attempted shots with 17 offensive rebounds going towards the Bucks. That's there. There's the offset right there. Like we we're forcing all these shots, they're not making you know existential more than we are. It's those second chance sports that were killing us, man. Which is bizarre. You would figure. I mean, 18 uh, Aiton had a good rebounding game, 17 rebounds in game four, but. Only one offensive rebound. I think for the season he averages like three or four. So that that is peculiar to me. And, and this is we always talk about. I got like the chess match of playoff basketball. We're seeing it in real time here. Um, as we'll kind of go on to talk about maybe some of the things that all, that Milwaukee is doing to slow down Chris Paul. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
so I think the reason the game was close, one, obviously Devin Booker, like, put up 42, mm-hmm. which kind of negated the, kind of the losses you were getting out of Chris Paul because the Bucks weren't shooting great. But Drew Holiday took 20 shots and made four of them. So as bad as Chris Paul was, his counterpart on the point guard side was also very bad. Unfortunately, you you think Drew or Chris Paul is the type to you know win those matchups. Like if the opposing point guard goes four for twenty and he didn't, and I hate to put it, but I think Chris Paul did lose you that game, James. Yeah, all right. I, I, I don't know. think right, no. like it's right, no. like right, no. game three. Right, no. I'm not going to pin on Chris Paul. Right, no. Not his best performance, but last night I think he like there's nowhere else you can look. And and that's okay. I'm okay with holding. Chris Paul to a high standard, especially in playoff games, because what we're not asking him to do is, is score 30 points. And no one was calling him a detriment when he only put up 19 in game three. No one was saying that you hurt us, you hurt the team. It's the turnovers. Yeah. You you are the point guard. You are the person that we look to on the road in a hostile environment to, to steer the ship right. And in a game that's that close, where Milwaukee never really pulled completely ahead and countered every run that we had, it's not like there wasn't opportunities to, you know, seize momentum, take the lead, grab the game back in control. And it seemed like every time there was an opportunity to do that, there's a turnover and uncharacteristic things, guys. Like 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 leaving his feet in the middle of the paint doing a 360, trying to throw it back out. Like you know, probing the lane and doing this little dump off to DeAndre Ayton, and it's just nowhere near him. Like just literally throwing the ball away. Um, so I'm okay holding Chris Paul to that standard. I, I want your guys' take on this. Um, I had a, a, a pretty heated argument with, with my friends. And we asked, should Devin Booker get on Chris Paul? Like, does Devin Booker have the cachet, have the ability to get on Chris Paul for this game? And it's funny because Jake made a face as if like, man, that's Chris Paul. You can't talk to him that way. But Kyle made a face of this like, man, like you might, you might got to get in buddy ear. And so... I'm 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 obviously on the on the side of like nah you still gotta respect your vet. That's still Chris Paul, you wouldn't be here without him. Booker can give him a look like, all right, man, enough with the bullshit. Like it's it's we're going home, it's time to get back right, do whatever you need to do. But to get on him, smack him upside the head, so to speak, uh, I don't know if Booker got that. But I mean, what do y'all think? What what's what's the right way? Because I think it's, it is for Booker to go over to Chris Paul. If anyone's going to talk to him, it's Monty or Booker. But on court, it's Booker. And h- how does he approach him? How does he go up to him after a game like that? Kyle, so, Kyle, I just want to hear your point of view. Because I, I kind of see it from both sides. But you, so, you do think that he should go and chew I Chris d- Paul out. For not, so I think, no, I think someone should. I think Monty Williams is clearly the person that should. Um, I think Devin Booker should stay away from Chris Paul to be honest because like support him like what are you gonna do Chris Paul knows what like you don't need to pick up Chris Paul like he, he understands the game I think it should be Monty Williams someone needs to talk to him I don't think Booker is that guy um but I I mean I don't doubt that Chris Paul can like come back and have two of the greatest performances of his, his career. career yeah no say yeah I and don't doubt it at he'll all. win the finals by when would the second game be like next Sunday right. but I, or Sunday? But I mean, I think someone should. I, I don't think that he's the type of like argumental guy. I know the clip of him and Harden went viral Harden, a couple years ago. Bring up. Yeah. yeah, but no, I don't think Booker should. But someone should have a talk. Monty Williams should have a talk. Hey, this was the best team I've said it in these entire playoffs so far. You go up 2-0 and I don't think Chris Paul is the type to get complacent, but it's 2-2 now and you're going back home. And if you lose this game at home, like and Milwaukee gets that game six up a game, I, I think you are in big trouble. So it's it's go time now. Someone needs to talk to him. I would lean Monty Williams. Um, but if it has to be Devin Booker, it's so be it. And, and here's right. my question. Before you answer that, Jake, my question is specifically how does Booker approach him? How does Book approach him? Because you're right. If, we, if there is someone to talk tough to him, it's Monty. But how does Book approach him? Which way, which fashion? Jake, you have the floor. See, it's... Just, just from like a psychology standpoint, at least in game, <laughs> like I don't think you're ever <laughs> aggressively checking your vocal leader, your vet, like, like chastising him for his poor play. I agree. Um, okay, okay. Like because at the end of the day, like he's seen and, and done it all. Like he knows the highs, he knows the lows. If he's not performing well, trust me, at the the, the person who is probably being hardest on Chris Paul is Chris it's Paul. Chris on Paul. the other hand. 
if I'm Devin Booker, I'm looking at him like, bro, we got the same amount of finals. We've been in the same amount of finals. This is my team. Point. I'm going to be here from wet, wet, long past Point. you're gone. Points like, were made. Points were made. To that end, like, like you, you can kind of like snap off at him a little bit, but like I just, me personally, like if I were to be a teammate, I don't think that's conducive to winning. Um, I understand emotions get high, and the Harden thing is they, they said like you know that's just that's just us talking shop, that's us start talking ball. Um, it's two competitors, so to that end, like that's okay. But like, like we're talking about Chris Paul here, so I yeah. would say if I was Booker, I'm not gonna approach him, but um, I maybe then become the vocal leader. Maybe I don't go directly at him, but maybe I'm the rah rah guy in the locker room instead of letting Chris Paul, who's not performing well, be the rah rah guy in the locker room. See, I don't think I don't think people need their statuses taken mm. away because of that. Like I don't I don't I don't think Chris Paul cannot be the vocal leader anymore because he's not playing well. But I, I do think that you're right. Like I, I think that book is looking at him kind of side eye but, and being like, all right, man, you got that out your system? Are you done? Like what, what's good? Unless unless and a lot of people are saying this, unless there's something wrong, unless there is a little injury, something nagging, I know that wrist was hurting him, unless there's something else like that that they know is causing this that the general public doesn't someone's got to have a talk with them because we can't we can't we don't have the luxury to yeah. let send them a dm going. james it should say, be you, you should send them a dm you i gotta get, get up in someone's ear i gotta get up in someone's ear because i can't watch that again i gotta get up in someone's ear because i absolutely can't i think watch that again. i think there's a balance to be found here found here because as you guys said like you're not gonna like that's the vocal leader of the locker room chris paul he's the reason probably you're here even if devin booker's the better player it wasn't gonna get done without him and he's the one you look at but there's a balance to be found here and because i don't think obviously you can't talk about it but you can't put all your eggs into the oh chris paul's gonna figure this out himself basket which he's capable of doing but we're in the finals now so i don't i think it's monty williams jake thinks it's you know Maybe time to not respect him in the locker room, but that's how I took it. That's how I took it. You literally said maybe he's not the vocal leader anymore. Like, what does that? What does that mean? Like, not like, anymore. I'm saying at halftime, instead of Chris Paul being like, "Come on, guys, we got to pick it up." How does that shit come off? I'm looking at him like, "Yeah, we <laughs> is in you, bro." <laughs> no, you, like, you're doing no, the Eddie. We need to pick it up. Back. You're doing the Eddie Murphy meme. We. Like, what? We. Like, what do you mean, we? <laughs> but yeah, you can't let him. You can't just bank on the fact that Chris Paul is going to figure it out. Some, right. Something needs to happen here. There needs to be some sort of conversation, but I I, I don't think it needs to be dramatic. I don't yeah. think there's too much emphasis on this. Yeah. One more thing before we get into the actual weeds of and the facts of, of everything going down. One one other pattern that's alarming as hell to me is Mikel Bridges' pattern. Because games one and two, Mikel was great. And, and, and I made this point off camera to somebody. But I think Mikel Bridges paces the Suns. Like Mikel Bridges is almost the the bar at which you know where you where you need to or if you come in or below what's going to happen. So Mikel's bar is here. If Booker and Chris Paul both are above that bar, we got a hell of a game for the Suns. If a combination of one of the two is up and one's below, then we might have a tough game. If they're both below, then if Mikel's the best player on the floor, we probably got blown out a little bit. Let's just keep a spade a spade. So. As Mikel Bridges is declining, we're seeing games get tougher and tougher for the Suns to win. Games one and two, I mean, he has 14 points and is a plus 14 in game one. And game two, 27 points, a plus seven. Game three, he has four points, is a minus one. And in game four, has seven points and is a minus three on the floor. Like, that's that's not a coincidence. And it's noticeable. Mikel Bridges was, was off the floor much of the time um, in favor of Cam Johnson in game four. And you could see him not being as effective. In fact, you saw him losing the Pat Connaughton matchup, which rightfully so, if you're Monty Williams, that cannot happen if you're Mikel. You just, I expect you to win the Pat Connaughton matchup. And yeah. Pat Connaughton was starting yeah. to win it, and he found his way off the floor. Um, that's something that needs to change if the Suns want to win. Just simple yeah. point of fact. And you just hinted that at the end there, losing minutes to Cam Johnson. This is something which is hard for me to say as a Pitt fan, and like I hate Villanova. Cam Johnson should not play nah. more minutes than Mikhail no, Mikhail, no. Cam Johnson is great in the 17 to like 21, 22 minute role that he's been playing this entire postseason. And if Mikhail has a bad night, whatever, play him 30 minutes because Cam Johnson is now outminuted 
uh, he played 30 minutes in game three, 28 and a half last night. More minutes than Mikael Bridges both on both up. nights. Yeah. This is not some. I agree with you. He is what do you call him? The pace setter. Yeah, or... he paces. He paces the Suns. I just think he sets yeah, the yeah, standard. That, yeah. I agree with that. So Cam Johnson is great when you play him 20 minutes because it's not like those extra 10 minutes and the minutes he's taken away from Mikael or have been that productive. Yeah. They, they they really haven't. He's had a good series, but keep him where he's been at because you've had a lot of success in that realm. But it's hard I mean, when you have a young... Uh, my fault, Jake. But it's hard when you have sorry. a young player like Mikel if he's not playing well. Like, I I got to take him off the floor. Like, that, that minus three can look like a minus 11 if I let the minutes run, if I let the minutes stretch. And... But, it's tough because after and, game and, two, he played great. Mm. I mean, it's just tough to pull him in game three like that. Another angle to it is that he has been a sieve on defense. He's allowing 58% in his uh, field goal percentage in his matchup against Chris Middleton. And, you know, you don't really need him to be this all-encompassing offensive player. Knock down your open three-point shots. He's shooting 35%. It's about middle of the road. But on defense, you have to be, like, this is a, when you're a 3 and D player, <laughs> You got to do both, and right now he's not. Um, I think that may be the reason you're seeing a little bit more of Cam Johnson because Cam, I would say, probably is a better knockdown shooter yeah. than Mikel. Yeah. Um, and they then if they're a wash on well, D, then... They both shot well last night, though. Yeah, yeah and but, it's not but, like Cam Johnson gave you anything defensively against Middleton either. No, I, but I, I still I, lean with the guy that has been in their rotation the entire year, has played way more minutes when these guys that are on the court and... Like, I don't know. I would leave Mikel so much easier. Than I mean, but I do think Cam Johnson, just the, the archetype of the player, Cam Johnson's more of a knockdown three-point shooter. They both shoot the ball well. from three this year. Right. Sure. Right, right. Sure. Um, but, I, I mean, Mikel's better in transition, probably better right. playmaker. I mean, right. there's both sides offensively each way. Right. But Mikel is known as three and D, but you, you got to bring the D. Pause. Anyway, yeah. um, we we, we doubling, <laughs> doubling back to the, to the Chris Paul point. Um, we talked about him and his matchup with Drew Holiday. And that's that's a theme that we've all noticed are these matchups to look for. And I think that's a, a great place to kind of dive into this series now at a, a little bit more of a macro level is let's look at some of these most pivotal matchups in the series. Who's been winning them and who do we think is going to continue to win them going forward? It's probably going to lead to their teams hoisting the trophy at the end. So, Kyle, I need the facts. The biggest matchups we got, let's go one by one in the series. Well, I actually want to, before we get into the other ones, I want to hear Jake on the CP3 Drew Holiday matchup because he gave us off camera before he was outlining that really well. So the CP3 Drew Holiday matchup, which we talked about last night, they were both horrible, but is going to be a pivotal <laughs> matchup in the next two to three games of this series. So I want to hear the facts on that first, Jake. So the big one that when you when you're looking at the defensive matchup and it's been a lot has been made about Chris Paul's play and, and people attribute that to Drew Holiday and maybe rightfully so um, but Drew Holiday he has been the number one matchup for Chris Paul they share about 19.7 uh, on average possessions in a game Chris Paul is guarded by Drew Holiday in those we'll call it 20 possessions Chris Paul is shooting 77.8% from the field. Let me read that again. <laughs> the number one matchup against Chris Paul this series in terms of total possessions, and then they average it out per game, has been Drew Holiday. And in those possessions, he allows him to shoot just about 78%. That needs to be attacked. That need, And I think a lot of what they're doing is if you look at... Um, if you look at the field goal percentages when Chris Paul is guarded by Giannis or Chris Paul is guarded by P.J. Tucker, you're looking at 25% from the field, 28% from the field. Um, so th this is, I think, to me, it's as simple as um, an adjustment in the pick-and-roll game that Milwaukee has made to slow down Chris Paul. Uh, I, wish, I wish I paid a little bit more attention during the game. If I had had this stat in hand, I would have had a couple specific examples ready to go but when you look at that matchup that's like like I, I don't I don't know if it's like the media mainstream media kind of gets lost because I think people are overall thinking Drew Holiday's doing a decent or somewhat good job he's doing a terrible job mm -hmm. on Chris Paul and um, we'll see what what the next 
kind of chess piece move is for Phoenix to adjust. And yo, Jake, you said a very important part. You said it needs to be attacked and it's not being attacked. In fact, it's being avoided because we think Drew Holiday or the, or the Suns or, or just the narrative is Drew Holiday is the Chris Paul stopper. And we're seeing Milwaukee having these soft sw switches. And it's almost funny that they haven't stopped doing them because you're asking yourself, why, why is Drew Holiday not fighting over these screens? Well, when you look at the tail of the tape, Chris or Drew Holiday is the one losing this Chris Paul matchup. So when he does switch on to, wow, PJ Tucker, Pat Connaughton, Giannis, whoever, those are the ones who are, who are actually stopping him. So if, if you see Drew Holiday on a one-on-one -on -one matchup, I, we, we, that's the one we actually need to attack. We need to stop switching on the bigs because now it looks like the bigs are starting to stop us a little bit. At least close off lanes, close off passing lanes, just make it harder for you to penetrate because... One of their bigs is Giannis, and he may not be as laterally quick as Chris Paul, but he's quicker than 90% than of big men out there laterally. He can keep up with him most times. We saw him swipe the, the, the ball away for the game ceiling stop in, in last night's game. So it's got to be and I think I think it's also like another another factor that could play into it. Um, in terms of why, why they might be playing that type of pick and roll coverage could also be... Um, if they do believe that in that game three, maybe Chris Paul aggravated something, we see a very poor game four. And um, you, can, you can afford to, if you're a big, play to drive if you know that, hey, this guy's got a hurt shoulder, this guy's got a banged up wrist. Um, he may not be able to effectively shoot from deep. Uh, so, and that's again, that's more conjecture than like the statistical stuff, but it's just a small stuff like that that I think if I was an average viewer, maybe try and pick up on. Yeah, we got to monitor it. Yeah. I'm All right. Well, we'll move right. into another matchup, and these next two matchups are like so even, it's ridiculous. So the first one is Aiton and Giannis, um, who field goal percentage, defensive field goal percentage. So obviously against them, Giannis is thirty-seven percent. Aiton is thirty-nine percent. Um, another stat is when Giannis is on the court and Aiden is off the court, the Bucks have a plus 38 and a half net rating. If you flip it, when Aiden's on the course, Giannis is off. It's 43.9 towards the Suns. And when they're both on the court, the Suns have a point two net plus point two net rating. So surprisingly to me, Giannis and Aiden defensively and even a little bit offensively have been super similar, especially in their roles they play for the team. Obviously, you see Giannis has a little more volume than Aiton does, but is this a matchup we should be looking at towards like win this matchup? Because you wouldn't think of it off book, but when it comes down to the stats of this series, these guys are so similar in what they're doing for their teams. It's It might be another one of these indirect non-head-to-head -head matchups because those splits, like we're not seeing the same stats that we're seeing with Chris Paul and Drew Holiday where it's direct head-to-head -head matchup when they're guarding each other's stats. It's just when their presence are both there. And yeah. we saw Monty Williams get on DeAndre Ayton about, don't worry about your stats, go dominate the game with force. And I think he said that because we're watching Giannis dominate the game with force. I mean, there was a time last night, I mean, Giannis finished with what, 25, 26 points or something like that. Nothing, nothing crazy. But there was a time before, you know, free throws happened four or five minutes left in the fourth. He only has 19 points. But by the game Giannis is having, you swore he has another 40 point output because he's dominating the game with force. And I think he's winning that matchup. There's only really one person on the Suns who can dominate the game with force like that, and that's DeAndre Ayton. That's the Giannis and DeAndre Ayton matchup I'm looking for. Who is dominating in that paint more? Who's making their presence felt the most? So far in his last two yeah. games, definitely advantage, you know, advantage Greek freak. Yeah, and, and you got it, Jake. So I just wanted to point out uh, a couple of things. Number one, that stat was from uh, Mike Gallagher, who does stuff for Establish the Run. Uh, really great, and also it was from it was from I think after Game Three. So those don't those numbers don't account for what happened in Game Four. Okay. Just want to make uh, that clear in case in case someone's checking our math out there. But Giannis, I I think in this match, like in terms of the head to head matchup. You have to give the edge to Giannis just because of the pure counting stats. And also when you look at when he's guarding Aiton, he's holding Aiton to 33.3% field goal percentage. Uh, and that's, you know, all within 10 to 5 feet of the basket. Very impressive by Giannis. But just in terms of the way that the two teams play when they're out there, they are the most pivotal. And like, it's hard to say this because Devin Booker and Chris Paul are maybe the more, I don't know, 
like I want to say more important, but in terms in terms of like how the Suns play, they can afford to not have Chris Paul in there and have campaign running that position. If Aiton's not in there, they the Suns really don't have anyone to fill in that pick and roll um big role. So like one stat we pulled out here through the 2021 playoffs, Aiton is the second highest points per play in terms of uh role men in pick and rolls and he's second to Nikola y- or Yusuf Nurkic, the other one, sorry, mm-hmm. <laughs> is first um in points per play in that one. But like they can eat they, they can exploit Milwaukee's pick and roll game with Chris Paul and Aiton. Like that that's really the the basis of where the chess game starts. That's the first advantage. What's the counter? So that's why I highlighted this matchup. Um, and it's really interesting to watch game to game. And I think an adjustment Milwaukee made is they put Giannis on DeAndre Ayton instead of letting DeAndre Ayton kind of operate against Brooke Lopez. It, it does kind of make Giannis spend, you know, much more energy on the defensive end, but he's a former defensive player of the year. It's something that he signs up for. He's ready to do. What I also think it does is it makes that high pick and roll at the top of the key so much harder because of those soft switches that they do. They're so willing to switch on the Chris Paul. In games one and two, it was Brooke Lopez going out there on an island, and he was he was he was paying for that. Now, when you bring DeAndre Ayton up in a pick and roll, it's not Brooke Lopez that's out there. It's Giannis that's out there, which is just. You may get by them. It's just a whole lot harder, and the recovery, become, you know, the recovery comes a whole lot quicker. That's just one thing that that the Bucks, you know, is something subtle that I've seen them do is just steer into the skid of that matchup. Like Giannis, like it's not going to be indirectly. Like you go put yourself on him and just win this matchup, win the paint, and he's, he's done that. They would really have. It's a shame, and I'll end with this. Move on to the next matchup, but like. It's really a shot. We need to come up with a nickname. Hmm. Like Acme. That, that's DeAndre. They, they, they're not doing bags anymore. They're bagless. They have no bag. No bag. DeAndre in no bag. If he had a bag in the post, if he had some moves to go to, you can go ahead. Let, like, get that switch. Okay, Giannis is guarding Chris Paul. We'll throw it down to DeAndre Ayton in the paint, who's now guarded by Drew Holiday, which should be a win for Phoenix. But again, he doesn't. I mean, if it's not a turnaround hook, like, I, I don't, he doesn't have many options. Here's where it's going to be so hard. <laughs> he doesn't have many options. Not, not to go to. Not in the memory bank. Not in the memory bank. But here's how it's going to be, why it's going to be so hard for DeAndre Hayton to win that matchup. Is he doesn't have the defensive bag. We're talking about bags. Defensive bag that Giannis does. We've seen in this series alone, people are, are calling these two blocks, the, you know, the, the two best blocks in NBA's finals history already. But we've seen in the in the this series of loan how Giannis can really affect the game on the defensive end. And DeAndre Ayton just simply cannot do that. I don't know if anybody in the league can do that the way Giannis has done it in, in this series. Um but it's it, I don't think anyone in the league could have gotten that alley oop block besides Giannis. No, that was ridiculous. I was on a throw that was one of the most ridiculous. And, you know, it, it, and it, it it may make up for him not having a bag on offense. Like that, that block and his defensive presence is so big. It won them the game. That that it yeah. may make up for the fact that his only move is back to the basket, face up, tween, tween, half back dive. Like that, it may make up for the <laughs> fact that that's the only thing he can do on offense because he's so dominant on defense. Like, holy shit. It's funny you make that, that you, you mentioned that like Giannis is just on another plane. Like, he can go to another gear that Aiton doesn't have. It reminds me, and it's funny because we look at how that series turned out, but it reminds me of another finals matchup in the paint. Ben Wallace, super sturdy, super reliable, defensive player of the year, going up against Shaquille O'Neal. The fuck is Ben Wallace doing? And the Pistons won that series. That's the crazy thing. So that bodes well for Phoenix. I I I would make that analogy. That's, hey... If, if if DeAndre Ayton turns into Ben Wallace all of a sudden, we 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 hoist in the trophy. And we got to find Word. some way to, to offset that. But let's go into the last yes, matchup sir. real quick. Yeah, I just want to point out, James, Jake mentioned establish the run. They uh, turned me down for a job offer, so not going to use it. You should have let me anymore. know, and I could have put a word in with Mike, man. Yeah, I didn't know you knew him. No, I'm, I, was... I, I very loosely know him. As, a, as well as a producer knows... Any guests who they've never met. We might go around to next winter when I apply again. There but we go. 
the last matchup is the one that is kind of deciding this series in a way. I know we saw Giannis have two 40-point games. One was a win, one was a loss, which you can even say doesn't decide a series. But it's Chris Middleton versus Devin Booker, and obviously they don't play the same positions. We've talked about how Middleton has been, gu- been getting guarded by Bridges and Cam Johnson, but they're filling the same role for their team. And we saw that last night. We saw it last night reminded me of Devin Booker and Paul George in game one of that series when Booker had like 40 and Paul George and there's a point they're just trading baskets. But they're really filling the same role on the team. That is the scorer and the man down the clutch. They both have the highest open field goal percentage on their team. But which is interesting, when a defender is within two to four feet, Middleton's field goal percentage drops to 31%. Devin Booker's is a clean 45%. Obviously, he is more of a, you know, see him as a contested shot maker than Middleton, but it's showing in the stats, and it's clutch. Both teams lead clutch time in usage percentage, and we saw Middleton have 10 clutch points last night. Of course, that is the last five minutes of the game with the point differential of five or less. So these are really the guys that are going to win you games in these series down the stretch. Giannis might have 40 but I'm not putting the ball in Giannis's hands on the last bucket. We've talked about this, these entire playoffs. It is Chris Middleton. And I think we can understand that this is Devin Booker's job. And the question is, do we trust Chris Middleton going forward to be able to do this? I didn't. And I was very confident in the fact that if Chris Middleton had to be the big shot maker, that we were going to win this series. I've, I've had to eat those words in the last two games, but Let's not forget about the first two games. I didn't have to eat those words. So, like, everyone plays better at home. Everyone, everyone, the role players step up at home. It's easier to play at home. Um, but I think in an overall sense, you know, in these last, in his best of three that we're going into, if it's got to be Chris Middleton to beat us, they the Bucks deserve to win the finals. If, if, if that's how we lose, Chris Middleton beating us down the stretch, the Bucks deserve to win the finals. Like, it's, I just, that's just how I feel. Straight up. I'll counterpoint that because we've talked about this in the past that Chris Middleton is due for one or two bad games in a series. He's kind of got him out of the way. Like game <laughs> one, he played all right. But game two, like Chris Middleton's nah. bad game might be out of the way. So, I mean, he's he obviously no, I mean, because starting he, from the very first game of the playoffs. Uh, he hit a game winner against Miami in overtime. Right. And now he's had a lot of moments like this. Yeah. In a three-game series, I don't think you can bank on like Chris Middleton being bad. He like, didn't. He didn't have his bad Chris. But if we're, if we're staying with your logic, he didn't have his game two. He didn't have his game bad. Game two Chris was a hundred percent a bad Chris Middleton game. Not he not, shot like thirty no, percent. I'm thinking of like I'm thinking of what was it? Game four, game five against the Hawks last round. I'm thinking of that Chris Middleton bad game. I'm thinking of like where where, where is this dude at? Chris Middleton. Yeah, five of 16 isn't as low as Chris Middleton can go. Yeah, no, no, no. We can limbo lower than that. We can go lower than that. We can go lower than that. Uh, I think it's comparable to the Hawks series. It is. Like what he did then. I think when you look and it's really, it really caught my eye, the the tight versus open coverage because Mm -hmm. this kind of is the modern NBA in my opinion. You look around like Denver's built like this, Philly, Atlanta, I mean, really all the great teams, Milwaukee as well, Phoenix as well, have guys who create, down, get into the paint, and can draw defenders. And then you have your Chris Middleton, your Devin Booker, your Danilo Gallinari in Atlanta, or, or Herder. There's a bunch of guys where you become so much better when you play on the floor with a dominant force that can get you wide open looks. Like... When Chris Middleton has to create his own looks, he shoots 33%. They're right on him. When it's tight coverage, he's the Chris Middleton we all expect. But when you have Giannis in the paint generating so much gravitational pull to that defense, Chris Middleton's going to be open all day. And there's nothing you... And and as a defense, you can sometimes live with that. So... That's the... when When we talk about matchup, again, these guys don't necessarily go head to head. But they both kind of fill that same role. From and I want to look at it from the Devin Booker stamp side after I make this point. But the proximity stat, when y'all put that in there, that drove me up a fucking wall. Because it's something that I was noticing last night, especially on those curl, those those screen and rolls to about 15, 16, 17 feet. I watched Chris Miller walk in to far too many mid-range shots. So with the, the proximity stat y'all put in there, the two to four feet, his, his percentage goes down. That tells me just get get a hand. Can someone put a hand up, please? 
put a hand in his face because the ball's probably not going in if we just put a fucking hand up. So, I, I no more wide open shots for Chris Miller. We've seen enough. I, I'm confident in the fact that if we have to make him the big bucket maker down the stretch, we win. But we, we got to do it with contested shots. They got to be hard shots to make, not just easy shots. But from the Devin Booker stand side of it, of being the 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 scorer, the big shot maker, he wasn't that in game three, and he was all of that and more in game four. Literally all of that and more. Could couldn't have made any tough more tougher shots than he than he did in game four. He did everything that he could. Yeah, I fear for his consistency a little bit. Um, I think the Lakers series is the only one you can look at these playoffs where Devin Booker you can rely on every single game to get you like twenty five plus points. Um, and you said it like he had what ten points in game three. Mm-hmm. Like something crazy. So I, I fear a little bit that another game, maybe not 10, 10 might be his playoff low, honestly. It's his low for this entire season. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I was... fear for, I fear to see like we get like, um, he shoots 26 shots, he makes like 10, and he has like 20 points, 22 points, something yeah, like that's that. That's a low scoring game for I Devin worry Booker. a little bit about Devin Booker because um, I don't think he can give you that five nights out of five nights a week i think you can get really? that Devin booker a lot of the time but uh yeah it's 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 been what happening this playoffs ever since the lakers series the lakers series he fully dominated but if you look back on the clippers series and they played the nuggets correct before that he had some games where it, you know he, he couldn't get it done and with three games left in the finals i'm a little worried about that especially with how half court centric this series has been it's really been kind of an old grind fest um and in those scenarios especially late in games this is something that and james cover your ears this is something that haunts me as a sixers fan (laughs) the quality of your finisher in the playoffs the guard who is going to iso and inevitably take a shot uh it's middleton as we've been talking it's middleton for, for for milwaukee it is Devin Booker for Phoenix over the next three games. The guy who plays better when the game is close late in the game. That's the team that's advantage. And I know it sounds simple, but like that's that's the most jarring thing to me. When Chris Middleton has outperformed Devin Booker, the Bucks win. When Devin yeah. Booker's been good or when Chris Paul, Chris Paul can also be that guy when he's been that guy. Phoenix wins. I mean, yeah. it's everything simple, simple game sometimes. Everything simplifies in the playoffs and it we, we, there's a lot of simple things that ring true, and your best player's got to be the best at what you know at the, the most crucial times. Yeah. That's all it is. Um, all right, so we'll move on to the second half of our episode, and we're gonna bring back an oldie but a goodie check tape. Um, because Kyle went to school on the Bucks last week a little bit. I know you guys heard, but he said the Bucks they need to learn some lessons, and damn if they didn't, because in the last week they've won games three and four and tied this series up but we're going to look back specifically on the lessons that professor kyle put out to them that they needed to learn and we need to know kyle did the bucks learn their lessons just just straightforward i think so we'll go just as we did last week we'll go one by one so our first lesson last week of course we recorded after game one when they went down and then they were huge underdogs already and we were like oh how, how can they get back so the first lesson was you have to limit chris paul we talked about how that has been the key to beating the Suns in the playoffs so far, and we've seen it. I mean, Chris Paul had 10 points last night on 38% shooting, no three-pointers made. The big thing for me is the turnovers. He's had nine turnovers in the last two games. That is the same amount he had in the entire first-round Lakers series, and it is more turnovers in the entire Nuggets series of round two and the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals, not to mention game two which is not even a part of this stat chris paul had six turnovers so they have learned their lesson i mean they have learned their lesson here i don't think there's uh too much to argue about that and it's resulting in w's on the buck side straight up it, it was when we call it cutting the head of the snake cut the head of the snake and everything else goes away and you could absolutely see it when the floor general out there is is not smooth. When he's not in sync, the offense literally never looked in sync. Shots were still being made, stuff was still happening. It never looked in sync, and it looked like Devin, please save us. That's what that was the offensive game plan last night, and that hurt. Everything that you just said hurt because if Chris Paul isn't efficient with the basketball, it's 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 like taking superman's you know abilities away like what what is he he is he is a a normal man if he's not the point god anymore that it hurt yeah james i don't want to jump ahead too far 
and I really don't want to do this to you. Yes, you do. Look at the fucking smile on your face. Whatever you're about to say, <laughs> you so like, want to say it. So if I just it say would it. be really a really really shitty way to end the best Chris Paul season of all time, like in terms of his success getting to the finals, with him putting forth like three shitty performances in a row and they get bounced in the finals would be just like a such an indictment like and i really do i want chris paul to succeed i do no, you don't. i like sincerely do i do i really do bringing up this making this scenario up is hilarious but me. like it out of nowhere Carl, I, I would be yeah. he is right though they would be the most yeah, they would be, i would it would be, be like, it would be a, of it if i were you it would be an atrocity if a meteor hit the earth like yes if the worst possible <laughs> thing happened it'd be a fucking atrocity like thank you Jake. <laughs> <laughs> like that <laughs> but I, I see your point because it, it for me we're at a fork in the road and it could go one of two ways you either respond and we get a master class performance like at the end of the Nuggets series or at the end of the Clippers series you gotta silence a lot of people and we win or it's a, it's a tragic end to a, to a tragic story like it's to me it, it happens one of two wins I don't know if there's a silver lining you play well and we still lose because to me if he plays well they win that's the right. only difference last night if Chris Paul plays well they win that game if they well as long as he's just not doing any like disappearing or choking like as long as he has good games yeah. or he disappeared or, last night uh, yeah or they could he could have bad games but if they win the series we're cool. Peyton Manning was god awful when the Broncos won the Super Bowl, but it's like, oh, Peyton yeah, wrote up in the Super Bowl. Yeah, he wrote off in the sunset. Jake, that might have yeah. been the meanest thing you've ever said to me. No cap. What? Yeah, <laughs> I'm <laughs> you. I want to mentally get you ready for the worst possible. So then, if anything above that, you're cool. So praying for the best, praying for the best, but still preparing for the worst. <laughs> Goddamn, Kyle. Next Correct. Thing. That's precise. Next, next lesson, yeah. please. Yeah, we'll move on. The second lesson was screw the three ball, and it turned into fuck the three fuck ball the three for ball. the Milwaukee Bucks to learn. And this has been somewhat true. Um, I saw I say somewhat because we saw 36 three attempts in game three. That was kind of high. Um, but last night they only shot 29 threes, and there's only been four times in these entire playoffs that the Bucks have shot less than 30 threes, and they're three and one in those games. And I think more of our point here, James, last week was the forced threes mm -hmm. the we we're trying to find threes because obviously in the modern era of the nba your offense is trying to create threes but open ones and what we're seeing them is limit these forced threes middleton and holiday have accounted for almost 50 percent of all the threes taken by the bucks in the last two games and if you look at game one and two that number was only 36 percent i believe we said it should have been middle middleton holiday and pj tucker should be the only ones taking like more than two threes mm -hmm. So I, I think in this almost 50% coming from two guys is a result of less forced threes. And if you watch the games, I think it's playing out that way. Yeah, I mean, it goes, I think it's why we've seen such a momentum shift. And I think it's why in the last two games, it's looked like the Bucs have, have just dominated the Suns and just had their will with them on the inside. And a lot of people are wondering like, why Why did it not look like this from the start? What's What's been different? And it's the fact that the Bucks have just owned, like, we're going to beat you down there. We can't beat you out here. You have better perimeter players than us, but you don't have any physical specimen that can deal with Giannis and company. And I do say and company, because when Giannis starts to dominate it, that raises the floor for Bobby Porters and Brooke Lopez and PJ Tucker. It raises their floor and kind of brings them along with them. And I think they, I think the Bucks have just owned the fact that we're going to win it with force we're going to be more physical than you we're going to beat you up we're going to get your players into foul trouble we're, we're going to throw you out of sync like i think we're starting to see the physical dominance of the bucks take over and now it's time to respond for the suns it's no, it's no longer a finesse game a 109 103 game where chris middleton is the only player to break you know 30 points on the bucks and, and devin booker is the only person damn near to break 20 on the suns like now it's now it's a grinded out game i think the bucks have have turned the series that way also, like, and I think you were right on if you're specifically talking about Giannis. Giannis in game two took five three-pointers. We're in the NBA Finals, buddy. You better, <laughs> if you don't get your big ass into the we painted said this area last now. Week. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, and, and, I mean, in turn, only two three-pointers in the next uh, two games, two and two. So, yeah. 
He's been dominant. He's also been a little bit more of a facilitator. I was saying I hit a pretty big bet uh, with those Giannis assists and Pat Connaughton deep threes. But anyways, uh, the... <laughs> Jake the, made money, guys. Yeah, again. <laughs> I got I it. Well, yeah, again. There are many times when I don't and you don't hear about it. <laughs> but yeah, keep, watch Giannis. I think he's, he's got it really locked in. This is why, I mean, I took Suns in seven. And I, I'm sticking by that right now. This is going to be an awesome Dragon Ball series here. Back to the three ball thing. Like, so we said they took under 33s, and we said we've only do that four times. They won this game only shooting 24% from the three point line. We've, I mean, we've been preaching it. It's mm-hmm. not their identity, and I think they finally learned. Kyle, Kyle I said think it. They've finally learned. Kyle said it verbatim. If there's one team that can win a game without shooting threes, it's the Milwaukee Bucks. If there's what, if there's a team in the NBA that can win the finals without shooting the three ball in the modern era, it's the Milwaukee Bucks, and they're, yes, pro- they're proving it. When you have Giannis, t- it's true. Talk, talking about Giannis, we will move on to the last lesson. Not much to talk about with this one. This one, of course, was get the big man involved. We talked about the Clippers series. We saw some great games out of Zubac and Cousins, and they have no big game, big man identity on that team. They went small ball, but it worked. And then, obviously, AD in the Lakers series had his two best games in the wins against the Suns. So there's not too much to say. Obviously, Brooke Lopez played well, but I believe me and James were really looking at Giannis with this lesson last week. And this was after Giannis took 11 shots in game one. So that's why I don't want to take too much credit Mm -hmm. because it's like Giannis needs to be more aggressive. He had no shit. But he came back and he had two 40-point games after that. And last night we saw the Middleton show. So this is probably the lesson that, you know, was more of just an obvious thing than like this is how you beat the Suns Mm -hmm. because Giannis taking 11 shots is clearly not going to get it done. But I would say they learned a little bit. I mean, Giannis is playing well. There's there's a theme here. And it was... was for the Bucks, it was like quit bitching, like like be be yo be that dog, be that guy, go go down low and, and make it happen. And I think most of our lessons, except the Chris Paul one, like the other two lessons and then the matchups that we looked at at the beginning of the episode, all kind of point to the same theme of like muscle up, Milwaukee, because that, that that's how you're gonna beat the Suns. And this last point is a, it's another installment of that. And it is something that you can kind of exploit. Aiton's a great defender. Aiton's a great big man. But one thing that you could definitely knock him for is his motor from possession to possession. Like, and I don't even know if it's necessarily motor as it is as much as it's like tenacity. Like, I would say tenacity is probably the word. Like, okay. Russell Westbrook is a tenacious player. Right, right, right. Your right. arm is getting snapped in two pieces if you try and go block that alley oop, and it's Russell Westbrook. Mm. Like, you're not holding Russell Westbrook or a player of the ilk to one offensive rebound when you're that big and you're always down there. Like, that's the type. And you're you got you're facing a guy, PJ Tucker, facing a vet, Brooke Lopez, where they are they're going to be physical. They know they have to play with an edge because they don't have an athleticism edge. So that's something. And and again. To Monty Williams saying to DeAndre Ayton, "We, you need to dominate with energy, or you need to dominate with force." Mm-hmm. That's a, he's right on, and that's probably what he's trying to get out of Ayton is just that tenacity. I don't know if he has it. We're gonna see. We're gonna need it. I will say this though, the NBA referees, it's hard to dominate the game of force if I can't touch anybody. Man, it's, it's hard as hell. <sighs> it's hard as hell. Gotta talk to Mr. Batista, yo. <laughs> Well, we have successfully checked tape, told you about the series so far going forward. Just want to put it out there. Does anyone want to change their prediction? Are we seeing the series any different than we did when we initially made our predictions? Are you still thinking Suns and Six James? If there's one thing about me, and y'all gotta notice by now, if there's one thing about me, I'm not gonna change the stance. So we we until Suns and Six is no longer possible, Suns and Six. Yeah, I will be rooting for Suns and Six, because you know. But mm-hmm. I will say, just like thinking about this series and watching how it's playing out, I think it will be seven. I think it will be Suns and Seven. I don't think there's any other conclusion, obviously, but Bucks and Seven, but I don't think there's any other conclusion we're looking for that's going to happen that's not a game seven mm. this series is playing into that it's been great back and forth we mentioned all these stats and how even this is and that is and how the bucks have made this adjustment and now it's time for the suns to make an adjustment so i mean i, I think suns and seven i'm not going to change my initial prediction like change the graphic blah 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 but just looking at the series that we have right now i think it's going to be seven that's why i was excited they picked up these last two i was thinking even before the game 
all the way up until tip of last night or uh, the game four rather I was like you know I really think the Suns are I know I said Suns in seven I really think the Suns are going to take this in five and uh, yeah that's obviously no longer possible right. but we'll see I'm super excited this will be it's obviously the most pivotal game aside from a game seven game five Series tied 2-2. Decisive. Big, big one coming up. Decisive game five. My stomach hurts already. All right. Well, let's move into the countdown. And let's start with number five. The number of players to have 500 points, 200 rebounds, and 100 assists in a single postseason. It's Larry Bird, Chuck Barkley, Tim Duncan, LeBron James, and now Giannis. Look, people are ready to move Giannis into... Like an all-time category of, of rare, rare air, you know, if he wins this finals. They, they are primed and ready to do it. We heard Kendrick Perkins say today that if they do win the finals, we got to go ahead and give Giannis the status of best player in the NBA. No LeBron, no KD. It is, in fact, Giannis. I think this is going to be one of the postseasons that we do look back on in 10 years and be like, yo, but Gian- you, Giannis did this. And we're going to start naming things and it's, it's going to be on a historic level. Yeah, that's that's actually ridiculous to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? Oh, the stat or putting him the, as no the, the best? stat. But what Perk said is also ridiculous to me in a different way. I don't think Giannis is the best player. Regardless, oh, this is it for me. I like. I want to see like some sort of like skill. Like, I, obviously there is skill there, but like when eighty percent of your dominance is like your body it's like hard it's hard for me to root for it i'll say that i, I understand I respect it's, everything it's, it's this era it's but like it's this era it's what you're used to seeing because in the 90s like like Shaq, the best player in the nba literally had did one thing and it was just dunk on your head top right, you could fair. do nothing about and it you're, you're, yeah <laughs> you literally couldn't do a damn thing about it <laughs> you just get a poster yeah. but yeah all right let's go to the number four the number of times the Detroit Pistons have had a top five pick in the modern era, that being since the NBA-ABA merger, this year will be the first time they pick first overall. And I would assume, Kyle, I know we don't have your full big board out, but I don't think there's much mystery that they will be taking one Mr. Cade, Cade Cunningham. You got to, right? You got to. You got to. Yeah. But I will say, with these four top five picks, they're two for two or two for four. The good ones, obviously, being Isaiah Thomas and Grant Hill. But they also picked Darko Milicic and I believe, who was the other one? It was someone in Leon Douglas, who was someone you've probably never Never heard heard of. that name. Yeah, he was, this was their first one. This was right during, or right at the merger in 1976. And he played like five years in the NBA. So they've, they've got something to prove with these picks. Which one hurts more? Nothing now. Nah, no pick in NBA history hurts more than the, than the Darko Milicic pick. Darko. There's, gotta be Darko. There's Darko. That, it might you be- could add Bosch or Wade. That's like the greatest draft ever possibly. Or, who, That's who the 03, some... 03 draft. So only Braun and yeah. only Braun and Mello were off the board? Right. No, only Braun was off the board. Oh, he went second? Oh, I thought he went third. Oh, no, Mello went third. Oh, it went LeBron. This is how the order played out. It went LeBron James one, oh, then Darko, oh, then Mello, Bosch, Wade. Oh, yeah. So that's I a think, Tommy Turner right there. I think that's really, oh. that's four Hall of Famers and five picks, and you had the two pick and got the wrong one. Whoa. So. Hey, yo, yo. And it's, you like, it's like a ninety percent shot. You get one of them right, and you just literally Darko. Like you could, you could blindfold yourself and throw a dart. Oh man, yeah, that's a hurt. But piece. I think stuff. I think Kate will work out unless they do something crazy here. Hmm. All right, let's move on to number three. Number three, yo, this one was shocking. The the number of consecutive penalty kicks England missed in losing the Euro twenty twenty final to Italy. One of them was Marcus Rashford, and that that one was the was the mind boggling one. He, my man, just, that one hit off pipe. No, I think I think it was air. I think he just straight up missed it right over the right over the top bar. Like it was just y'all were meant to. It's one of those things in sports when you start seeing stuff like that. It, Italy's meant to win. It's just it was just Italy's destined to win this. And then the last one was a save. And you know how hard it is to straight up save a PK. Two two of them were saved. Right. Two out of three were saves, which is nuts. It, Shout the, out Donna Ruma, I think his name was the goalie for Italy. Than me. Mm. I had no yeah. clue. I, I had fun watching the game. I don't really get to watch a ton of soccer, but I was out Maniunk watching the game. And uh, this can, and I it, it really I would say being a Londoner. You probably feel somewhat similar to being a Philadelphian 
and the shit never seems to go your way. Well, no, they're they're habitual like chokers in the playoffs, like or in, in big tournaments, in big national tournaments. England is England soccer is habitually, yeah. yeah, really. Like they're known to be like massive, massive chokers. So I just know where you're sitting there at the penalties, and it's just like as as things start to take the turn. So yep. That icy yeah. cold numb <laughs> just crawls all over your body, and you know it's about to hit. Like, yep, here, yeah. it, here like, it goes again. It was in Wembley, too. Oh, it was in Wembley. In Wembley. Oh, Every single fan was. Oh, it was like 80%, 20% England oh, fans. So. It, it's just like, hello, hello, depression, my old, my old friend. Yeah. Feel it coming. All right, we'll go to number two. Take a trip over to the MLB where teams are 493 and two. When leading by four plus runs entering the ninth inning this season, the Yankees have both of those losses. <laughs> no, the last part of that was so awesome. I love that it's the Yankees. I, I think it's both. It's both by Chapman too. He has not been good this year. Yeah, I don't know if they, I, that's. I don't know if they are both by him, but I would guess they're both uh, having Chapman in the game at least for part of the four runs given up. Maybe not all four. Maybe runs, not all but four. At least but... part of them. That sounds like a Phillies bull. I I thought it was going to be the Phillies, man. I, I thought that's a very Phillies bullpen thing to do. No, it, no, it, we blow them in the seventh. <laughs> we blow them right away. Yeah, sure, sure. We our starters don't make it to the ninth. We true. blow it in the seventh or the eighth. We do, we do. We as soon as <laughs> but, our bullpen comes in, the shit is over. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I that's crazy though. Four hundred ninety-five games have had that sample yeah. size and only two losses. Mm. All right, let's go to number one. The number of batters Zach Wheeler got to face in the All-Star game. Philly fans alike, let's let's gather around and family flip off Dave Roberts, please, for a guy who th- people presumed was going to start. He should have started. And then got three got three pitches. And, and and as Zach Wheeler does as a fucking boss, he goes 98 mile an hour, 96 mile an hour. 86 mile an hour to sit him down and, and and then we we leave the all-star game like that if you go get one batter good morning good afternoon good night and we go back to the dugout we might as well i mean i, I hated it i gotta be honest i like the home run derby is so much more fun to watch than the actual all i disagree the all-star game like was entertaining this year i hate the new uh, i hate I the new no derby the i hate game. the new derby format That's, i wish it was back to is, like the the 10 outs the 10 outs That's is fair. way better i would rather them do the 10 outs but even so i still just like the the spectacle but it's like i have no problem pete alonzo kill like right. yeah i i have no i have no problem actually with the different format one you can't just take however long you want to it there the the time limit always builds a suspense like the, the reason why sports like basketball and football come down to the wire is because I know there's a time limit. I can't just go forever with this thing until, you know, until my skill stops it. I have a, a certain amount of time to do it. And so it always builds that suspense and it's good. But what makes it is the interest and the flair from the players. I don't care what format it is. When players are screaming, yelling, when the pitching coaches are into it, when, when there's strategy in it, that's what makes it entertaining. And that's what the... The, the home run derby is back to that. There was a bunch of years where it was bland as hell. Guys were just up there hacking. There was nothing to it. And then when Bryce Harper went crazy in 2017 after he won the derby in the Nationals Park, that kind of set off this ripple effect of like, put swag back into the derby. Celebrate when you win it. Scream, throw your bat in the air. And the tournament style gives gamesmanship. Like, we see. I do like. I'll take the tournament style. Yeah, you know like I mean, that. that's fun. With Shohei Otani and and Juan Soto going head to head, like there's a, yo, a a triple overtime swing off. That that's that was entertaining as hell. And and there was gamesmanship that was going about it. You see, you know, Juan Soto hit hit three, and he's he's looking at Otani like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like I, I might have just taken this. That thing. was sick. You know, so that was off a sick. I just so think four minutes. I think four minutes is way too much time. Yeah. The fact that they threw him like 30 seconds for free. Like, no matter what, everyone's going to have an extra 30 seconds. Right. Everyone's going to hit like, a, what, what, what's, what what's the threshold? 400 feet. Everyone takes a home run derby. Everyone. No, four, it was 475 for another, for another 30 for seconds. Minutes. But if you didn't hit one 475, you were still going to get a bonus 30 seconds. I thought that was done. Right. Hold on. We're getting away from the point. Fuck Dave Roberts. I think the All-Star game's fun. Fuck Dave Roberts. Because Zach Wheeler deserved more than three three pitches in the All-Star game. That was, that was, yeah. that was the original point. Don't get it him hurt. to make it three pitches, though. Like, you can have a five-pitch at bat. He's like, one, two, three. All right. 
Right. Yeah. Well, he's he should have been starting. He's Zach Wheeler, right? Should have yeah. been starting. We'll leave it at that. All right. Almost out of time for this episode of Straight Facts. We can get some shots up at the buzzer. Who got something to say at the buzzer, real quick? Uh, real quick. This was like just a random move I did, but I made a playlist that I knew whenever I listened to it would get me into a good mood. And it's kind of a little hack. I've used it like a couple times. I don't, I'm not like sad or anything. I was like, gonna say you cool. Like, oh. You cool? You I, like, <laughs> so, like, I got off work today, and I was like, oh, it's freaking hot out. It's for eight hours. I threw that on, and by the time I was home, and I lived like two minutes away, I was like, oh, I'm chilling. So, just a good, smart little life hack. I like a little self, little self care act. I like it, yo. I like it. I'm, I'm, and it could be anything for me. It's like chill rap vibe music. Mm-hmm. For you, it could be like EDM if that's your thing. I don't know why that would give you like super Kyle, happy. But. Kyle, you definitely pit, and and obviously I've gotten to know you now, but you've always pinned me as the you know Mac Miller, you know easy easy nope. Mac with the cheesy rap kind of kind of vibes. Just kind of those like light chill, but that's not your that's not your scene. I don't listen to Mac Miller. The, it's mostly it's Mick Jenkins who's like my favorite artist. Okay, we're in the same lane. Uh, we're in the same lane. Saba. Smino, that's like most of the playlist. We're in this. Yeah. We're, we're literally we're in the same lane. They just make good music, yeah. and like Dreamville's on there a little bit. There you go. There you go. Jake, got something to say? The buzzer. Uh, I finished today watching the new Loki series. That's tough. Which was on Disney well, Plus. The end. Wait, wait, wait. I don't want to cut you off. Don't spoil it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, it. I'm not. All I'll say is the end is just a complete mind f. Really? Like, really threw me for a loop and sets up. The movies going forward, like the the big movies coming up with all I love the characters, and then also on Tuesday, Sarah and her family and I went to the theaters and saw Black Widow, which like it's like good, it's a good movie. I'd say like run of the mill Marvel, like like they mailed like, it in. I mean, it's not mailed it in. Per- I mean, it's just like your average Marvel. Like I put it like same as like Ant Man or any of the origin oh, ones. Like don't tell me. Ant-Man. My dad watched it last night. My dad said he liked it. A uh, Black Widow watched it. Yeah. Or Ant- yeah. yeah. I mean, it's cool. It's really cool because I think um, they kind of. I mean, obviously, it's like I don't know if this is spoilers or if the past date on this, but Black Widow obviously, you know, gets the boot. Gets the boot in um, Endgame. They kill off her character, and now they're kind of going back. So for that reason, it's just kind of like not as impactful. But still, overall, like if you're a Marvel fan, watch the movie. And yeah. here, here's the thing: one, I'm very excited to to watch Black Widow. It's it's my my plan is to you know that's my first pop back out to the theaters is to see Black Widow. Um, mm-hmm. But don't put it on Ant Man level, please. Nah, it's probably be- <laughs> it's better than Ant Man. It's better than just because level. you've it's got like a, a higher floor. Deadpool's cool though. I mean, way different. different Obviously, I know like, what you mean. Deadpool is like, different than any movie. Yeah. yeah, it's well, it's an enjoyable. If you like Marvel films, you will like this movie. And yeah. Lo- I started Loki yesterday. Loki's like so. one of my favorite, one of my favorite Marvel villains. He's probably second after Thanos. And right, you should watch Loki, right dude. Above yeah, I, I just started it yesterday. Isn't it? Um, Owen Wilson is in it. He's in it. Yeah, there's a couple. Uh, good in it, yeah. It's just the the last episode came out yesterday. I'm telling you. Kyle wants to talk when you watch that. Is, Put uh, your drone in a many, blender. Is it six? Is it six total? Yeah. Uh, it is six total. I'll probably finish it like by Saturday. Put your mind <laughs> in a blender. There, Kyle. Kyle's, yeah. Kyle's on it. All right. All I gotta say at the buzzer is mine's actually sports related. Sorry, I know we got away from sports a little bit. Um, but but I gotta address the team USA situation because they was looking sh- shaky, baby. Like if they didn't beat Argentina by the way they beat Argentina. We, we, we was not we was maybe not looking at a, a gold medal output but maybe the NBA should think about employing some feeble rules not all feeble rules don't turn this into international basketball it's still the best league in the world but at least examine the way that the game is refed and and penalties are called and fouls are called because if you don't want our players to go on a world stage like that and for lack of a better term embarrass themselves, you're going to have to mend it a little bit. The NBA players are, are taught to play to contact, not through contact. You're taught that when you feel contact in the NBA, sell it. Throw yourself off balance. To, unless, unless it's just literally a slap on the arm, you can go through an M1. When you feel contact, go with the contact and, and not go through it. But international ball, they're taught to play through the contact. You play until you hear the whistle. So I'm watching you know, Damian Lillard against Australia 
going for an up and under layup, get hit, fall on the floor, and roll past the ref. And the ref is literally looking at him as he rolls past him, like, "What are you doing, man? Like, why, why are you on the floor? Like, go play defense. Play defense. Get back up. Go play defense." So. I, I do think there's something and I'm watching the international game and I like the physicality of it. And then you go and watch game four of the finals and it's a more physical game. They're letting them play a little bit more. And to me, it just lends itself to a more entertaining basketball game. Like it's a contact sport. You can allow it to be that. And I think just watching how the, how the best players in the world, 12, uh, 12, 12 of the best players in the world, you know, struggle against international competition like that. I just think it's maybe something that the NBA and can can really just examine. Like maybe, maybe we're softening our players up a little bit too much. Like now, now they're looking too much for contact. Where other countries, that's just not how they're played. Yeah, I mean, the fouls is the big thing. Uh, some of the other FIBA rules. No, 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 yeah, no, no. I, I wouldn't operate. But yeah, the the fouls, and you're completely right. But as an NBA pro, like I understand, like I don't think they're softening them. I mean, you're gonna play to your best advantage. So when Damian Lillard just played 80 80 games or something, and like with the intent to win them, and this is how the game's gonna be played. But the bigger thing is Team USA. I remember we texted after the first loss, James, and I was like, ah, you know, first game, they're still gonna win the gold. When they lost to Australia. I was going to be at your head. I was going to be at your head. Batiste? (laughs) Not not to Joe Ingles and them. When they lost to Joe Ingles and them, I was like, look, man, we got to look at the mirror. And the only reason I didn't text in the group chat again or or jump the gun is because they played Argentina a couple of nights later. And I was like, let me not... Like they almost, I almost made a shaky baby video. Like it was getting, it was, it was getting that crucial. Uh, and then you know they twenty eight point win or something like that against Argentina. So we'll see. Presumably, first game in our group could be France, which we'd see defensive player of the year man himself, Rudy Gobert. <laughs> if they make Rudy Gobert look anything anything more like Rudy Gobert himself, all bets are off. If we make that man look anything kind of special. I got no hope for the U.S. That's just how does he find his name into every episode? How, like, how do we always him and the Sixers are mentioned in every <laughs> straight facts episode ever? It's fact. Like, I thought we made it through, but we didn't. Right. Do we got to put the ban on him? Remember, we put the ban on talking about the NFC East. Do we got to put the ban on talking about Rudy Gobert? Uh, no, no I like making fun of Rudy Gobert. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We had this name in there, Jake. Yeah. It's fun. All right, that's all the time we have for this episode of Straight Facts. Man, it was a great one, as always. Shout out our guy, Stat Matt Robinson. He'll be back with us soon. But for my guys on here, Kyle Sirik and Jake Galley, I am James Jackson. These have been the facts. Straight up.